my thesis on the Chargers is like you missed it, right? Because both Herbert and 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 uh, Burrow are going to get contract extensions this offseason. Uh, you're a franchise that has now proven that you can't you can't cut it when the guy's making rookie deal money. As long as Staley's the coach, the coordinator's either going to come in and get fired because he sucks, or get a head coaching job because he's great. And we're going to k- get constant turnover with 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 Herbert. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Unexpected Points podcast. I am your host, Kevin Cole. Follow me on Twitter at Kevin Cole, triple underscore. The single and double were taken, so I went all the way to triple, going that extra mile for the brand there. I am talking to Eric Eager today. Anyone who's been a listener to this podcast or generally follows the analytics world for NFL football knows Eric former head of R&D at PFF, now VP of Research and Development at Sumer Sports, which is one of the new innovative companies going in there selling insight and data, a little bit on the data side, more on the inside side to not only the consumer, but then of course to a lot of different NFL franchises. Eric and I had a really good time this episode. I could talk to Eric for a while. He's a good buddy of mine. So it was fun. We almost talked too much at the beginning, reminiscing about the 1990s playoffs and old Cowboys 49ers matchups that I and he both truly enjoyed back in the day. So we do some of that reminiscing, um, showing our age there. And then we go on to discuss mostly the teams who are out of the playoffs and how we feel like they are going to approach things in this offseason. A lot of Vikings talk, Seahawks. Chargers, Ravens, uh, you know, everyone else, all the teams that, that were eliminated there. We're going to go through how we feel like they should approach the offseason, how we're looking at the teams who are remaining in the playoffs going forward, and just try and generally give a lot of different insight on team building and how these different front offices are approaching things. If you are new to this podcast, you've not listened before, uh, you know, go ahead, click subscribe everywhere. I do an interview every week with someone who's probably not quite as uh, intelligent and articulate as Eric is, but maybe close to being on that level. And then I also have my own solo pod every week wrapping things up. You can also get all of my research, including a lot of research I've done recently on what the Bears should do with the number one pick, how um, NFL franchise owners should attack looking for a head coach, and then all of the different advanced scores and write-ups that I do on a weekly basis. It's at Unexpected Points substack.com that's unexpected points.substack.com they are free and paid subscriptions available and after all that the plugs everything else let's go ahead and get to eric all right eric thank you for joining me um well what's your wait wait i gotta get your title for sumer sports i'm, I'm getting sumer correct you'd be proud of me recently because i realized i just have to detach the m from the SU, like I just really want to put that M together. So I've detached that. Well, what's your title again? VP of everything, master of the universe. What is it over there? VP of research and development. Uh, Ah. I've been tasked with, we have, I mean, we have a, you know, obviously a B2B side. We are trying to uh, get a, you know, build an audience a little bit on the consumer side. So uh, that has been much of my focus, which is to, you know, obviously the podcast with Thomas and, and the the Twitter the Twitter stuff and and trying to be likable on social media for once. Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't want to be too likable. You got to have like you got to go back and forth. You got to keep them guessing <laughs> sometimes uh, which side you're on. Speaking of not being likable on social media, um, I think I'm aligned pretty well with the Dak Prescott fans. At the same time, my only my suggestion would be like don't have your entire identity, your entire social media identity be driven by responding to your enemies, you know, like, like, like don't make your, everything that you say about Dak Prescott be a response to what someone else has said about Dak Prescott. You can just say something about Dak Prescott without having to make it a response to some ridiculous list that Dan Orlovsky puts together for, for clicks. Well, I mean, Dak is perfect, right? Because it's sort of, it's 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 requires you to have moderation and it and it shows whether or not you're actually a good analyst in my opinion right so 
Um, you know, when Brooke, Brooke Pryor, uh, like probably a month or so ago, was like, hey, Jalen Hurts is already better than Dak. And I'm just like, okay, we got to start taking some media privileges away here. And like, and, and everybody, you know, after one game, Dak threw a few interceptions and everybody's like, oh, you're such an idiot. It's like, of course, Jalen Hurts was at one point like minus 150 to be the MVP. And like, I don't think he's thrown a touchdown pass since. And, and it's just, it, you know, the, these things are, you know, we, we, it is a week to week league and it's a week to week media. It's a game to game media. I mean, there was one point where I can't remember what, like what somebody asked, like, they were like, well, why hasn't this happened? I'm like, well, because they played on Thursday, we've had two Sundays since, and now they play on Monday. So we've almost forgotten about this player, right? Like that's how analysis is in, in the NFL. And you just, a Dak is another one where, and I, you know, I liked Tampa Bay yesterday plus three. I was the, the donkey like everybody else on that one. But yeah, I think um, I was with you on that one, although only slightly. But yeah, but but Tam, but Dak, Dak, I, I said this on a few shows. Dak is the best quarterback in the NFC playoffs, and he was going into the week. He had had a bad stretch of play, but if you if you you know take the integral over you know the last three years and you look at age and all that stuff, Dak was the best, and he still is the best quarterback left. You know, he was going into the week. And so, you know, we shouldn't be surprised by what happened last night. All that surprise. Just like when he throws four interceptions against the Niners this week, we shouldn't be surprised either. Like, these things are are within the distributions. Yeah, now, I am pretty hyped, though, about this matchup, only because I would say growing up and maybe – I wasn't even that young at this point in time, too, so I'm really uh, aging myself here. But growing up, I would say those 1990s – playoffs normally they would come in the nfc championship game between the cowboys and the 49ers uh, a lot of them in san francisco too we're talking about steve young and troy aikman and of course irvin and everyone else like that was almost the pinnacle i feel like of playoff football the games were good they weren't necessarily but i think even the hype and just looking at those two teams coming into it it really brings back those memories to me i think that might be like honestly the rivalry sort of pinnacle of two great historical franchises in the playoffs during that era yeah i mean the last time you got four teams well one of the last times you got four teams from the same division in the playoffs was 1994 when the NFC Central had Minnesota, Detroit, Green Bay, and, and uh, Chicago. But the only reason they all made the playoffs was because the Niners and the Cowboys beat the shit out of their own division so badly <laughs> that no one else was like nine or seven, nine and seven or better. And it was, it was, it's been a great rivalry, right? Like, so yesterday was the last time the Cowboys won a road playoff game since the 92 NFC title game when they when they went and beat a 14 and 2 Niners team with Steve Young as the league MVP went on and played the Bills in the Super Bowl in Pasadena and won the the, the this rivalry is great because in 1981 you had the catch by Dwight Clark which sort of which sort of ushered in a a a, a season of dominance for the for the Niners of four Super Bowls in the 80s and also basically started the decline of the Dallas Cowboys, right? Where you, you, you know, you lose, uh, you know, your, your quarterback, you get Herschel Walker, and then you trade Herschel Walker for a ton of picks. And then, you know, and then the, the win in San Francisco in 92 sort of started the dynasty for the Cowboys in three Super Bowls in four years. But then you had this like intermediate year where the Cowboy, you know, the Niners signed Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders locks down Michael Irvin in the NFC title game. Steve Young finally wins his Super Bowl, gets the monkey off his back. And, and so you had this back and forth where, you know, that was really the Super Bowl. People forget that from like 19, I think it was 83 until the Broncos beat the Packers in 97, no AFC team even won a Super Bowl. And so this this title game between the Cowboys and the, and the 49ers was the de facto Super Bowl for a number of years in a row. Yeah, yeah. And then you also had, you're mixing in, you know, Brett Favre and the Packers in there. It was pretty sweet. The thing about Dion, which I liked, which must have been awesome at that point in time. And, and again, maybe I don't have my exact timing correct on some of this, but didn't he win the championship in one season with the 49ers and then go and win the championship the next year with the Dallas Cowboys? So he was like, I'm the factor. I'm it right yeah. here. Let's, let's well, free agency let's- had a couple of those. So like Ken Norton Jr. was the middle linebacker for the Cowboys in the 92 and 93 Super Bowls. Yeah. And the 93 Dallas, the 93 Niners were a good team, but their defense was horrendous and they got killed in the NFC title game to a home Dallas team that year. Dallas was in 93 after they got Emmett back from the holdout was the best team in football. And then the Niners in 94 were like, 
forget this. We're winning the Super Bowl. It was the first year of free agency, second year of free agency, first year of the salary cap. They they went and got like Richard Dent. They went and got uh, Gary Plummer, Deion Sanders, Tim McDonald, uh, and then Ken Norton Jr. So Norton Jr. won Super Bowls in 92 and 93 with Dallas and then 94 with San Francisco. And then you're right, Sanders – you know, he and he played baseball. So Dion like went to the San Francisco Giants and like everybody was like, oh, my God, he's coming back to San Fran. And it said he's like, nope, I'm going to Dallas. And he went there and then won a Super Bowl against the Steelers the following year. So they, things were weird back then. Like there were even like Troy Aikman taking legit pay cuts to get Dion Sanders onto that team uh, just so they can get under the cap. Because if, if you think people don't understand, understand the cap today. They had no like the the Niners had to trade Bill Romanowski on the day of the draft to get under the cap the first year there was a salary cap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting the whole like super team sort of thing and other places. Like they were able to build, I feel like, super teams a little bit better uh, back in the day and maintain that consistency back then. So that'll be that'll be a very very fun matchup. Um, actually, well, let me just lay out really quickly. So what what we're going to talk about today? So we kind of in the NFL. And now that we've already already had this tangent, which has taken up like <laughs> 10, ten minutes of talking about nineteen nineties, we kind of we're kind of in two different places. We have a we have maybe a foot in two different places in the NFL. We have the playoffs and the divisional round coming, which is eight out of thirty two teams, so a quarter of the league is still alive. And then we have this other thing where you know we want to focus on the playoffs. We want to focus on the greatest weekend of football every year. I think, in most people's opinion, the divisional round matchups. But at the same time, we have three quarters of the league that is out we have coaching turnover we have gm turnover we have mock drafts are probably like pulling in more clicks than anything else right now thinking about all that stuff so i want to be able to touch touch on both of those different things Uh, but i want to start with the playoffs and maybe start with some teams that we saw eliminated this last weekend um but even before that, was there anything that really surprised you about what we saw this weekend? We didn't see any of the big names go down, so I don't think that was surprising. We saw the Giants deal with the Vikings pretty well vis-a-vis maybe like a, a, the Vikings being a three-point favorite. But again, not a huge difference there. And then of course, everything that happened with the Chargers and Jacksonville was just a mess all, all over the place. But did anything really surprise you from what we saw? Uh, no, I, I did like the Chargers in that game just because I thought Jacksonville, you know, one of the one of the things that, you know, I do want to study this and I, I'm I, I'm fairly certain that it's just narrative driven. But I, I have the impression after watching Kansas City last year go from you know Super Bowl loss to three and four to almost running the table to a gutsy effort against the Bills to running out of gas in the AFC title game. I looked at Cincinnati and I said, look, Cincinnati right now, and I said this like a month ago, you know, for the last, I said, Cincinnati is the best team in the AFC right now. And I'm like, but. Fire. That's fire take, right? Yeah. I, but must, like, I must have missed that. But I also said. Bill's they, Mafia. Get they're also going to, I'm like, they've peaked too early. It's basically what I said, right? Cincinnati, you know, plays the extra game last year, the Super Bowl, starts three and four, runs the table, right? The Buffalo yeah. game notwithstanding. And you get injuries, right? And, and, and then having to expend all that energy, you get injuries. And now, so to, to get to my point, I think Buffalo and Cincinnati surprised me by how much of a game they got this week. Right. And, and, you know, as a, as a person who, you know, as a chiefs fan, you'll make fun of me. You really think I'm a Vikings fan, yeah. but I look at those two teams and I'm like, man, they got, they played four quarters this week. And if you're, and then they got to play each other. And if you're, you're looking at the AFC side of the bracket, the Chiefs just totally lucked out with the whole ruling to give them a bye. And then they luck out again because one of the great quarterbacks in the AFC. Now, I don't have a Cabbage Patch doll of him like Steven Ruiz has in his room. But, like, one of the great quarterbacks, Justin Herbert, is is called out of the, out of the, out of the race, right? So the Chiefs, in my, like, on the AFC side, my biggest takeaway was the Chiefs really got the best of it, right? They don't have to play the two great teams that are beneath them in the standings. Both those teams are worn out from playing backup quarterbacks down to the wire. And then you get a Jacksonville team that's probably punching above its weight class at this point. And whether or not you have to play the AFC title game in Atlanta or not, you're the clear favorite. And and we saw that in the markets where, you know, you look at the markets, you're like, the only reason the Chiefs are favored when the Super Bowl is because they have one fewer game than the Bills. 
And now after they don't anymore, you still see because of the way that everything shook out last week, they still are the favorites. If you look at DraftKings, about 22% versus the Bills, 20 So that's my AFC thing is I, I just think the Chiefs lucked out completely and have a decent road ahead of them. I think in the NFC, um, things happen kind of the way you would, you know, in hindsight, like the Vikings are not that good, right? So the fact that they lost was not surprising, I think, to anybody. The fact, you know, uh, Jack Jones, who's the CEO of Sumer, he's a Giants fan. I go, look, I know you wanted to see Darius Slayton catch that ball and finish that game, but my, me, I had to see Kirk Cousins check down fourth and eight. So I'm glad that it happened. <laughs> he's being defended, though. He's being defended. He is, I, saw, I saw Kurt exactly. Warner and others say, like, he didn't have any choice. But, okay. Yeah. Like, okay, maybe there is some world in which TJ Hawkinson can break that tackle and, and get the first down. It doesn't, I don't really, I, I think it's a pretty distant universe. Like, you know, the universe is infinite. So maybe, like, maybe you could get there in some way. But come on, man. I get it. He had pressure. You got to just toss it up. Even if you don't toss it up to Jefferson, just toss it up to Osborne, toss it up to somebody, right? Well, and there's, it's funny because like early in the season, I, I messaged Quasi, uh on the, I did, I was just like, I'm noticing on third and longs, uh, Kevin O'Connell is not calling route short of the sticks. And I'm like, that is honestly the smartest thing I've seen all season. It's just like, he's Ron Burgundy on third down. He's going to call what's, he's going to, he's going to say what's on the teleprompter. Don't even give him the chance. Right. And when they acquired Hawkinson, now anybody who's betting Hawkinson over reception prop, it's basically free money, you know, because Kirk is just absolutely auto checking down to him every play. But in my, it's look, I don't think Kirk Cousins directly is the fault of any of this, but who Kirk Cousins is contributes to all of this. And like, yeah. if you have a fourth and eight, it's your fault. If you give Kirk, if you put a swear word on the teleprompter, he is going to read it. If you put a eight, a, a two yard pass on fourth and eight, he is going to throw it. And that is that your fault. That wasn't even a real route, though. That was he was yeah. chipping, and then he was just going out to do something. You know, like that. That's the problem with Kirk. Is like you say, you can maybe you could say it was it's. O'Connell's fault for having that route, but that route was not a real route. It was a chip and then like yeah. just just go out there. So it wasn't even like you shouldn't even be looking at that route unless everything has just gone bad, unless both of your receivers have somehow like tripped and fallen down. Then <laughs> you have to throw it to him afterwards. So that's the only thing I'll defend the play call a little bit on that one. I get it. Like you put it out there, so therefore he took advantage of it. But again, it wasn't even a real it wasn't even a real route where he went out there on a choice route and tried to do something. He was just chipping and then standing there. Yeah, for sure. And especially given how like I joke, but you know, I I I said this like two months ago. I said Hawkinson's perfect for Kirk in the in a, in the worst way, right? Because you know, a lot of times Kirk, you know, will say, Well, what what maximizes my PFF grade? Oh, it's checking it down to to a guy CPOE. on he, he lost yeah. some CPOE on that last yeah. play. So and, and, <laughs> that. and I and I feel like you know I've ragged on Kirk a lot during his Vikings tenure. I mean, you're talking about five years and one playoff win. So he certainly that that move deserves all of it. Um, but you know, I think if you are going to go forward with Kirk, and this is like, you know, I I think Adafo Mensa has a bright future as the GM of the Vikings, but like when you decide to make Kirk your quarterback, you have to live with who he is. And I don't think the Hawkinson acquisition or that play call at the end of the game really, really, you know, it, it sets Kirk Cousins up to fail in situations like that. And, 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 and he did. And, and, and I, you know, kudos to the giants. I mean, uh, I actually, for, uh, we have a mutual friend, Matt Collar. I wrote for his website, just like, you know, my, my thoughts. And I was like, the giants wide receivers look like Hakeem Nicks, Victor Cruz and Mario Manningham on Sunday, not Isaiah Hodgins, uh, Richie James, and I'm uh, Darius Slayton. Like it, they, Daniel Jones was wonderful. Uh, there's guys running wide open in that offense, which is, a, I think, a, a testament to Dable and Kafka. Kafka, the former quarterback coach for the Chiefs, where players are run wide open all the time as well. I don't think the Gi I think it runs out this week for the Giants. I think the Eagles are the classic, like underrated one seed where. You know, much like their Super Bowl year, they they kind of limp into the playoffs the last few weeks, and people are like, "Oh, remember remember the Eagles in '17? I know Foles is a quarterback, but the Eagles in '17 were underdogs at home to the Falcons, and then underdogs at home to the Vikings in the NFC title game. It won't be that un they won't be that undervalued, but you could see a situation where they win this week and they're underdogs at home to the Niners. Yes." 
Yeah, no, no, I, I definitely could. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned, first of all, Hakeem Nicks, low-key, won fantastic fantasy football player, especially his first two seasons. Eli, Eli was just like, whatever you say about Eli, he knew how to create a fantasy football monster receiver, whether it was Victor Cruz or Hakeem Nicks or eventually, of course, o Odell Beckham. Um, but what helped is with, with those guys looking like studs, you also had Patrick Peterson looking like, um, I don't know, like the version of Vontae Davis that quits at halftime, you know, like that, that version with guys running free. I think that helped. It's like the Vikings defense is just really, really bad. That's like, that's why I thought this was just the perfect Kirk Cousins game because he had 0.34 EPA per play, which is higher than Mahomes' seasonal average. His CPOE was whatever. It was like, you know, plus 12% or whatever it is. Zero turnovers, zero sacks. In this game, so yeah, even though he was under pressure forty five percent of yeah, the time, even though he was under pressure a lot, yet his defense just giving up plays, just left and right, and at the end we're still like, oh fucking Kirk Cousins, man, why, why did you have to do this? But Kirk, I mean, and and people get mad at this, but Kirk's the reason the defense is that bad, right? Like you know, you and, and well, he, I mean, come on, let's. <laughs> Now we're well, really I mean, giving him when, a little bit too when, much credit. When he joined, when he when he joined, oh, Minnesota, because of his contract, you're saying? Yeah, okay, yeah. When yeah, he joined yeah. Minnesota in 2018, you're talking about the number one defense, or uh, the Vikings were like by decimal points, number two. In well, yards they also to tried play. to run it back too much, rather than just right. like like take a downgrade and get some cheaper guys in there. But you still, ahead. by the way, use the the old the PFF mug that I still use every once. Oh, in yeah, a while I still got there. it here. You know, free yeah. swag. If a free swag goes above uh, all loyalty. To yeah, organizational yeah. loyalty. Yeah. Um, the, the, yeah, they, the problem with the Vikings is like, you know, since I've been, I've been a kid, they've always tried to win the Super Bowl that they just missed the year before and not the a one lot that's of teams do up. that, though. In fairness, yeah. a lot of teams do that. Yeah. That, that's not their problem. But like in 20, in 2018, like they were coming off a year where they were number one in EPA allowed, number one in success rate allowed, number two, I think by decimal points to Jacksonville in yards per play allowed. And, over time, that defense is atrophied, and that's going to happen, right? Everson Griffin's going to get old. Xavier Rhodes, who, by the way, played last night for Dallas, is going to get old. And it, 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 to their credit, their superstars kept playing like superstars. Like, Donnell Hunter is still a great player. Uh, it, it, you know, uh, Harrison Smith is still a pretty good player. Eric Kendrick is still a pretty good player. But that has actually contributed in a weird way. Them and Cousins have contributed in a weird way to why they got absolutely sautéed Sunday because – defense is not about relying on stars to make plays defense is about spreading out the risk across all 11 players and 13 of you's nickel and diamond stuff and the problem was guys like harrison smith kept the thing going so then the vikings in their in their mind had no choice but to give them extensions that were prohibitive to team building right the yeah. extensions for for denel hunter i mean and you look at the other side of the ball like adam thielen's current contract is one of the worst contracts for why i mean Kenny Galladay's is the worst, but like his is one of the worst that I've ever seen for a guy who was declining, right? And and Jason Fitzgerald, who's wonderful, I, I think, you know, he talks, he said like the issue with extensions and renegotiations is not that you're you're not going to be cap compliant. Everybody's cap compliant. It's that you have to keep players on your team long after they're useful. And the Vikings, you know, had a bunch of really good players who have transitioned to being useful players. And but their contracts are that of great players, and they can't. And now you have Chandon Sullivan, you have Ross Blacklock, you have you have all these holes that they try to fill in the depth positions. Now that defense again, when you don't get the turnover, right? When you don't get the sacks and stuff like that, your defense gets absolutely roasted. And then you look forward to twenty three. You still have those same great players who are a year older. You still have all the same depth issues. And now because you tried to fill this year's team with you know Ross Blacklock for a six round pick and you know, Jalen Rager for a fifth round pick and Hawkinson for a, I think a two and a four or three and a five or whatever it was. You have four draft picks next year for a roster that's old and not good that, you know, again, I, and, and I don't want to blame Kirk Cousins for all of this, but Kirk Cousins, that contract, the biggest outside free agent they've been able to sign since Kirk Cousins was Dalvin Tomlinson. Yeah. I mean, again, obviously Kirk Cousins contributes to it, but I do think there is a philosophical slash um, maybe being able to live in a world of uncertainty that you have to do as a GM that ends up allowing you to still be successful even with that type of contract. Okay, the one, the deal that sticks out in my, in my mind more than anything else, which signaled 
like the outside of Kirk Cousins problems that they had in their team building was Anthony Barr literally was out the door <laughs> to the Jets and they still brought him back for 15 million a year or whatever it ended up being at that point. It's like, you gotta just let some guys go. You gotta just let some guys go sometimes. So that is really interesting because I think when Quasi came in, you looked at this roster, you looked at the extension of Kirk Cousins to me, it was a one year and we'll see type of extension. In some ways, it allowed them to potentially get out after this season. That's probably not going to happen after this playoff run. And that, that that's fair. But I do think realistically, looking at the rest of the roster, looking at a team that's probably, you know, the 20th best team in the NFL this season, despite what the record says, this is probably where at least around Kirk Cousins, you should be doing some sort of cleaning you know, washing down the decks, getting some cap space, getting ready for transitioning out of him. Does Quasi have the fortitude or the green light to do that? Because they should be doing that this offseason. Well, I think that that's why, and it's funny because it puts them in a rock and a hard place, right? Like they they very clearly, and, and this is maybe a little bit heavy-handed because there were reports that they tried to move cousins to a team like Cleveland to a team like Indianapolis and so and and you know the you know it depends upon who you ask but like whether ownership or or maybe Quasi got cold feet or whatever but they end up signing him and I think I think Adafo Mensa and company are very sober about what 2023 represents I you know they they knew that 2022 was an easy schedule became easier with all the backups that they ended up facing um a slate where you had nine home games and, you know, again, and, and I don't think they expected 13 wins, but I think it was reasonable to expect 10 to 11 wins. And the problem was, is when you get to 13 wins, now ownership probably has expectations of you that are unfair uh, for 2023. And so, you know, this is really where, and, 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 and so it puts a Doppelmans in a really big crunch here because you don't want to go to ownership and say, Hey, you know, this roster I assembled, really isn't that good, right? Like, that's not the messaging you want to say, right? Have lower expectations of me because we actually suck. And so you can't have that. So you kind of have to fake it till you make it. We, I mean, we we know plenty of people in, in, in our walks of life that that have, you know, do that. And, and, and you're like, um, and so the, but this is very clearly a let the thing breathe year, isn't it? Like not that many draft picks. You probably have to trade some of your valuable players to get some back. Um, and whether that's cousins or not. And then the big elephant in the room is what to do. Like Justin Jefferson is going to earn a $30 million APY deal for a team that is 20 million over the cap, even with after, even before you factor in what they have to do as far as, as, as draft pick signings and, 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 you know, other players to fill out the roster. So it, it's, it's a tough off season. I do not, uh, I do not necessarily envy, you know, what they, what they have to do in Minnesota. Yeah. I mean, Honestly, like they should, they should probably move on from Kirk Cousins. I just don't know if it's necessarily going to happen. I mean, I'm looking at the contract stuff. I'm a little bit, I'd have to run, I'd have to dig into this a little bit more because I know they have a roster bonus, a $20 million roster bonus due March 20th. I think if they post June 1st, him and, and do and cut him before the, the 20, before that roster bonus and then post June 1st, him, I think they can actually save some money on the cap for next year. Um, and that was part of the reasoning for what they could do, or they could trade them and, you know, take a big, take a, take some of that dead money and then trade them out. I think um, they could save 17 million on the cap. If they do that, that would probably be the number one option I would look at to say, we're going to eat dead money. We're going to trade him. I mean, I was looking at the teams here at the top of the draft to try to figure out like who needs a quarterback or not out of the, all the picks that have been allocated so far. So 24 picks, or 23 picks because the Dolphins forfeited their pick. Um, out of all the those picks, only I would say only one, two, three, four, like only five or six of those picks are actually held by teams where you could say pretty definitively they don't need a quarterback. So there's a lot yeah. of teams out there who might need a quarterback. So that's where I would go. But the problem is you're selling into your second season as this coach-GM combo a – what will be labeled as a tank almost in this one season. And then we're talking about year three, you're probably still not good. And it's not until year four. And that's just a lifetime when it comes to the NFL and teams are going to have patience for something like that. 
Yeah, I mean, the Vikings now, half of this was Spielman, but they've only gotten three starters in the last two drafts. Like this past draft, you look at Lewis Seen had a really gruesome injury. Andrew Booth, who knows if he'll ever be healthy enough to play. Ed Ingram was one of I the mean, worst I mean, Seen players. wasn't looking so hot even before the injury, as far right. as and, playing and time. Ed Ingram was else. one of the lowest-graded guards in all of football. You know, we know that offensive linemen evolve, you know, uh, quickly, uh, or not quickly, but slowly in the NFL, so he might be okay. Brian Osamoa, you know, low low-impact position, uh, and then after that, it's, you know, a Caleb Evans and it's, you know, it's, it's not great. And so I think that, uh, it's going to be tough. I, I would say, you know, but they can't reasonably believe that if you, if you tried to run Kirk Cousins back on a stripped down roster, that he would have success. That, that would be my worry that the NFL started 65. I mean, Kirk wasn't as good this year. No, and, well, this is like his he, worst year in the last three or four he, years. Yeah, he got better as the season progressed. He was true, pretty bad true. early in the season. Like he was a six point, what is a six point five yards per attempt guy, and like they were middle of the pack in EPA. He got better as the season progressed. Uh, he got comfortable in the O'Connell offense, but he still you're talking about seven point one yards. I mean, he only averaged seven yards per pass attempt the other day. Like it is, it's different there. Um, but look, like. There are teams, the Jets, the Colts. Uh, I don't know if the Colts actually think they can win anything. The Jets, the Colts. Well, Ballard's um, got to be desperate at this point. I yeah, think Irsay mean, is like desperate, you know. if they, They're going to bring back Jeff Saturday, so like he'll be desperate to win also, so we'll see. Um, yeah, for sure. And, and so I think like it really is about, um, you know, the fact that this year – on one hand, you had the veteran quarterback acquisitions that all went that went bust, right? The Matt Ryan's and the Baker Mayfields and the um obviously the Russell Wilson one most explicitly. You had the Raiders buying back into Derek Carr and that thing blowing up. And you also have to compete against Derek Carr this year in the open market. But I do think that this year's quarterback quandary will make Kirk Cousins at least a, a viable asset this year. And if and if Quasey wants to move forward. And as you said, like at some point you're going to have to rip the bandaid off. Kirk Cousins is 34. He started to show it a little bit this year. They really do need to uh, move on from him, but it's not going to be easy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think this year is great. I mean, last year I, and I think everyone else was kind of fooled into this idea that the quarterback position was as strong and as deep as it ever had been in a, in a long time. It was the reason guys like Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo were attracting no attention at the end of the off season because everyone was like, no, we're good. We're good. And then things soured significantly there. Now talk about things souring and we'll stick with the NFC a little bit here. Tampa Bay, I don't know. It doesn't look good, I don't think, for Brady to stay there. Supposedly, Leftwich may be out. I don't know what will end up happening there. They're probably going to keep Bowles around. I doubt he gets the boot already there. But when we talk about the Bucks, this whole idea, and we're already start- we're, getting, we're getting this idea with Tom Brady that not only were the Raiders interested, but the Titans were interested, the 49ers are interested. He's going to be 46 years old in August before the season starts next year. Um I don't know. I'm starting to lean towards maybe he's done. And if that happens, then the Bucs are just done also, right? Yeah. I mean, they, you know, the Bucs forever, like we're famously a pay as you go cap team. And, you know, they broke all those rules for Brady. Um, you know, I, part of me thinks they have a good roster, but you know, especially defensively, I think they're okay. Um, but man, on offense, that offensive line has atrophied a lot wide receiver. They're just older. And I mean, do we expect Todd Bowles to get an offensive coordinator that's any better than Byron Leftwich? Like I, you know, I don't think Talk Leftwich- about a, a sliding doors moment. Leftwich was basically being penciled in um, as the Jacksonville Jaguars head coach, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, who knows? Like, the, the, who, who? I mean, I, I love Doug Peterson, but you never know. Like, he could be there. You think? You think Leftwich? Right like, you think Leftwich turned down Brady's overtures to buy Bitcoin, or you know? <laughs> You know, oh, that like, would be the worst. Yeah, like, 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 hey, I got job, something. I got but... something for you. He was starting to see the, the wheels fall off a little bit. And he's like, Byron, I got something for you. And Byron's like, no, man, I'll keep my money. He's like, okay, you're too good for me. I'm just going to dirt every third and five and make you look like shit. I, I don't, um, <laughs> I, I don't know what I mean. to my close, close personal friend, uh, Sam, <laughs> Sam Brakeman, uh, Bankman Freed. Uh, okay. Wait, 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 but okay. Now I'm starting to think, and this may, this, this is obviously dumb, but like beyond Brady leaving, like maybe the bucks 
Maybe they just bring them back. I don't know. I mean, they're going to stink, but that division is still god awful, right? I, I yeah, can't but, see it going getting better for him going someplace else. No, maybe. But he goes to Vegas. They're going to get pounded by the Chiefs and probably the yeah. Chargers. If the Chargers get a warm body at offensive coordinator, so I, I, I don't know, man. Maybe the Jets, but the, is that his against his like religion or something? I don't know. Like the Jets could really. But he might the, be more mercenary now, though. Now he doesn't. Not only does he not have the, the Giselle money coming in, not only well, did he did he invest his fortune in you know JPEGs and NFTs, but now he's also doesn't even have that the 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 gravy train, the Giselle money coming in anymore going forward. Well, I see a secondary to, to this, like his ex Bridget Monahan. Uh, okay. Named their first son, uh, I think it was like the the initials were J E T. You know, to piss Brady off, right? There was yeah. a little bit of maybe maybe he rekindles that flame. <laughs> goes about that, you think you and, think, this is sounding QAnon adjacent? But go ahead, keep keep going. I, I look. I, I mean, uh, what would that be? Green pilled or something like that? Would be that? Yeah, that yeah. Theory? I think that's it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. So yeah, keep going. So he's going to the he. So maybe, like I'm saying, maybe he's just going like, back I'm to out Tampa, for money. Going back I'm to Tampa is a non-starter, right? Because okay. everything about that Tampa Bay experience is excruciating, right? Watching Mike Evans run is excruciating. Like, and I'm hey. 30, I turned 37 today. I'm 37. I'm slow as, I'm, I'm, I used to run a 4.6. I run probably a 5.6 now. Watching Mike Evans makes me cringe. How Bro, dare you? Did you not see what he did to the Carolina Panthers secondary in week, uh, whatever that was, 16? Yeah, yeah. Steve Wilkes is him. I My thing, so watching Julio Jones run makes me <laughs> makes me cringe. Watching watching Kurt, Chris Godwin get up as if he's gone through World War II. Every they were trying to kill him at the end of that game. I was like, guys, he's your only player. Like, please do not and kill Russell him. Russell Gage, like, poor, I hope Russell Gage is okay. Oh, yeah. Like, they literally killed hospital. Russell Gage. Yeah. yeah. Like, so the whole thing, and then Ryan Jensen's out here, like, wanting a pat on the back for coming back from, like, all these injuries. And my guy was, like, basically standing still that whole game. The Bucks are a geriatric football team. You bring Brady back onto it. I mean, he... I don't know. Yesterday was the first time in my entire life I felt bad for Tom Brady. And and I just don't want to have to go through that again. I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't gotten there yet. Maybe <laughs> sometime soon. I will say props to NFL fans, though, for the fact that on the heels of the um, of the Hamlin, you know, uh, heart stopping on the field and all that stuff happening, that Russell Gage was just killed on the field. And no one was like, we should stop the game. We're doing everything. They're just like, okay, let's just get him out of here and start start over. Like, we saw his leg move. All good. You know, get, get him out of here. So I was glad that we're back to normal then in, in, in the NFL sense of just, of just continuing on as if nothing happened. Even a totally meaningless game at that point also. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, it just was, uh, it was, it was, yeah, we, we certainly, the NFL moves things forward really quickly uh, somehow it, with like the breakneck pace. Okay. Let, let's talk AFC for a second because we have the news now that Joe Lombardi is out in LA. So I think they, they have more of an issue with their personnel at wide receiver slash feeding Austin Eckler like 150 targets a season. If you want to talk about turning around that offense, the Sean Payton thing is dead. Like that was kind of dead on arrival because Spanos is not paying the money, just the pure cash that it takes to get, to get Payton to come in. Uh, names are being thrown around out there. I don't have any great opinion whether Mike LaFleur will, you know, end up coming back to L to, to the LA area and working with Staley. Um, you got any thoughts on the Chargers going forward? Because they were everyone's favorite offseason, including myself. I thought they made some good additions in the offseason. Um, did they just get kind of get derailed in a way by the Herbert injury and not really having I, I think they just need they need some receivers, honestly. I think that should be their number one focus. Yeah. Even I mean, though they're paying their guys a lot. That's another yeah, problem. There's, there's probably three or four things that are true about this. A um they're Justin Herbert's a wonderful quarterback, but I think sometimes he's he's got a little bit of that I just work here to him. Right. I think he's like a, a spectator. Well, I think he likes getting rid of the ball quickly and getting it and you know, everyone talks about his A dot. I don't think he's dying to sit back there and take shots like Andrew Luck did his first few years of his career. 
Yeah, I think like and the and the 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 film guys will say, oh, he just processes so quickly. But like, is that actually good? Right? Like, yeah. I I don't you know I don't know if that's I like I like this take slow processing. Well, it's not so, even it's slow like... processing, but he's like he gets to the checkdown so fast. It's like, yeah, but like there's. The reason that there's a reward too smart. Part, He's like the too smart guy. He went back to school a, for his fourth year. You don't want that. Bad sign. Well, there's flag. a reason why there's a reward after the hyphen and risk reward, right? Right. If yeah, he yeah. just sees risk and he's like, boom, I'm checking down Eckler. Yeah. Um, you're right about the wide receivers. I mean, they they put a lot of money into them, and neither guy is I mean, Allen's health was always underrated but then this year it came back to bite them like he plays a lot of games usually but this year he obviously hurt them a lot uh he's really the the one and then Williams you know Williams has always kind of been banged up even when he plays he's he's banged up so ba- I don't like this back thing I don't like back the yeah. back thing. and, and, and Josh, the tight Palmer, position. Josh Palmer was not the guy like that's not the flavor you want to add in there yeah. I don't think if you're trying to stretch the field yeah I I just I mean look my th- my thesis on the Chargers is you know, you ruined you 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 you, fa- you like you missed it, right? Because both Herbert and 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 uh, Burrow are going to get contract extensions this offseason. Uh, you're a franchise that has now proven that you can't you can't cut it when the guy's making rookie deal money. Uh, do we really expect the the Los Angeles Chargers to be able to negotiate the roster when their quarterback's making fifty million APY? Like I, so maybe this year is the next year, and they can get a wonder can coordinator in but it's going to be the same thing as long as staley's the coach the coordinator's either going to come in and get fired because he sucks or get a head coaching job because he's great and we're going to get constant turnover with 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 herbert so you know i i like yeah i think herbert's a, a great player i think like i don't think he's the second best player in the league i don't think he's the second best quarterback in the league um but i also think that there are elements to that to his makeup that always make them fall a little bit short. Like I think as a quarterback, your management, you're one of four, you know, owner, GM, head coach, and quarterback have to be management. And I feel like I feel like Herbert just works there sometimes. And that that hurts them a little bit when, you know, it's sort of like it's it's the cousins type of thing, although Herbert's much more talented than he is. I think it's still that like, oh, I checked the ball down, or I I, you know, I checked the ball down because that was what's called. It's like, well, maybe you need to be a part of what's called sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Although some people people hate Kirk Cousins, love uh, Justin Herbert, so it's a little bit of a contrast there. Okay, well, I'll say one thing about this like window. I've seen this window argument out there a little bit, and I think obviously it's in contrast to Joe Burrow, right? Because they were drafted the same draft, and Burrow's already gone to the Super Bowl once, and now is continuing on. And Herbert, it's like he's going to be he's done with year three, so we can get an extension this offseason. As if they've missed their window. I mean, one thing I'll say is I do think Justin Herbert is one of those guys where. Eh, window schmindo you know like he's gonna be around for a while there was definitely a chance that was that was that was frittered away a bit this season and last season but let's not care about it too much and i think also because when they sign a deal almost always these quarterback contract extensions it's not only one year it's normally two years that you're still paying well underneath kind of the market rate for a quarterback and if he's that type of good quarterback we still have two more years of him um before it jumps up to like above market sort of rate or market rate at that point so they do have that window but whether it's the Bengals or the Chargers I think these guys are just always going to be playing from behind when it comes to the Bills and the Chiefs because number one they're probably not quite on the same level as Allen and Mahomes but even more importantly the Allen and Mahomes contracts were perfectly timed and 10 and six years respectively. So like even Josh Allen, look at Josh Allen's deal. He made 10 million on the first year of his contract, 10 million cap hit, right? 16 million this year. Again, pretty sweet, pretty sweet through two years. Next year, it does jump up to 39 million, but that's like a huge jump in the contract. And it's not even getting to the level of these guys who are signing like $50 million huge jump cap hit type of numbers so they're going to be playing from behind when it comes to those two guys for a while and so that's going to hurt relative yeah for sure and and you know the uh, you know the Mahomes deal in my opinion is one of the masterpieces that's ever happened I don't know how they got Pat to agree to that um but it it, it Jerry seems Maguire, like all... Jerry Maguire f that one up yeah 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 for sure <laughs> um I I mean I you know actually I know how they did it. I mean they um you know, uh, you know, apparently, you know, apparently the the 
the note to Pat was you're going to be a chief for life. So let's figure out the details later. And, you know, so I think he, you know, is very much in tune with wanting to win championships. And so there's a little bit of that there, but, and they do have some protections, like as somebody who's worked through contract data at Sumer and PFF, like, you know, it's, it's one of those cases where you have to like, okay, the 2024 deal become 24, 24 money becomes guaranteed in 22. And they have yeah, these, it's like, the rolling guarantee structure. No, they definitely have the guarantees. It's just more like Lee Steinberg. That's what was my Jerry Maguire joke. Yeah. He, you know, he thought it was like 1997 or something. And we're signing guys to like 15 year contracts yeah. and Bobby Bonilla cashing in or something. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, what the chiefs have done this off season is really a masterclass for, what you do when you have a guy who overcomes a lot, right? I think, you know, our old colleague, Sam, you know, he was very much against the Hill trade. And I tried, you know, it, it, it's sort of, and he probably could have been right. You know, there, there are universes where they don't fold it in, but you think about the Chiefs get Valdez Scanling, who has not necessarily lived up to expectations, in my opinion. You have Smith Schuster, who's been okay, not, not great. Um, you know, Sky Moore did almost nothing this year. And yet Mahomes, like, you know, finds a way to throw 12 running back touchdown passes. You know, they, they bring Kelsey back from, you know, an 1,100-yard year to a 1,400-yard year. Uh, you know, they just make it up. And and that was against a schedule that, you know, preseason we said was first, the toughest schedule in the NFL per, you know, PFF ELO, uh, which is what we were using at the time. So, you know, that has to be demoralizing for these teams. I mean, what you have to do, I think, if you are the Cincinnati Bengals or the, the, the Los Angeles Chargers – is, you know, you, I, I think you have to, you know, do, you know, you have to invest in the analytical space. Like you have to, you know, trade, you know, make trades. Uh, you know, T Higgins has to be a player that's traded for the Bengals like that. You know, I know Higgins is amazing, but like you have uh, to. Yeah, I don't think Chargers and Bengals, you, you, you would have a better window into this than I do. I don't think they're at the top of that space right now. No, I mean, uh, Chargers have some, you know, everybody has some people. I, you know, Sam for the Bengals is a, uh, you know, helps. Zach Taylor in game and they have, you know, I, I think it's a Diddy is his name for, for the chargers. Yeah. Um, and they do formerly of the Browns, but again, they brought him in and he was like the most junior junior person on the Browns. Yeah. And then they brought him in to be like the most senior person at the chargers. So that yeah, and I mean, that's what we're trying to do with Sumer sports is obviously give a, a unifying framework to teams that don't necessarily want to nice. invest in nice their own groups. There. Nice plug. Um, very, yeah, very but, smooth. Yeah. I mean, but the, the, the issue is, is like, it's not enough to have a nine out of 10 quarterback. It's enough to have a 10 out of 10. And that's what the chiefs and possibly the bills have. If you have a nine out of 10, like the Bengals and like maybe the chargers, you have to, you know, cause I think Roger, you, you see when in green Bay, like, you know, they had a lot of problems when once Rogers started making that money and those problems, you know, they, they ebb and flow because of, you know, luck associated with how you draft. You just have to give yourself better luck year to year. And, and, and that's kind of the way out of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, I mean, we have, you know, 28 different fan bases cursing us for being like, oh, poor Chargers and, and Bengals <laughs> uh, with their relative dis- disadvantages against uh, the Chiefs and Bills. Um, how about Miami? A little bit different of circumstance here. Miami's going to fall into that bucket despite the fact they don't have a first round pick. They're going to fall into the, I, I don't see there's any chance they're going after another quarterback this this offseason although i kind of advocated for them to look at one when they had the um what became the trey lance pick that offseason two is going to get his fifth year option i assume um any thoughts about them as an organization i thought mike mcdaniel was a pretty pleasantly good surprise and when, when it comes to judging coaches and judging press conferences and judging interviews i'll say with him and with dan campbell i learned a lot in that if they might say the wrong things in interviews, but that doesn't tell you the most important thing. The most important thing isn't having the answer, having all the answers. The most important thing is like when you get in the building and you start talking to people, whether or not you have this intellectual humility and you're willing to listen to other people. And it seems like clearly those two guys have that. Dan Campbell in particular has been vocal about having that. Um, so what do you think about the Dolphins with Mike McDaniel and Tua and everyone going forward? Well, it's hard because they're not going to win on his rookie window. Um, because and then you we, might need that for him, right? Yeah, and, and we have two and, years. You got two. You got it. You got his last year, and his. I I think they're gonna fifth year option him, right? I think he's gonna get the. They, fifth they year almost option. have to. I think like one yeah. of the things that people learned from Goff and Wentz was that you don't have to extend a quarterback who is not a ten out of ten after you after year three, right? That's I think what 
you know, that, that was the they great lesson. They should be able of, to get away with it without taking too much blowback, I think. Maybe the concussion stuff, you know. Will the concussion stuff will like, hurt. Yeah. But I think if you if you give him the fifth-year option, I think people will say, okay, you've committed to him um, financially after you put him through those things. Um, they have the worst uh, – yeah, Arjun Menon, uh, our former colleague, you know, he was like, hey, you know, he said – you know, they have the worst set of resources for 2023 coming up, which because well, they not- chub, right? So they already got chub. They already got well, they Hill. Their first round pick. I too. mean, they're kind of on a one year window, honestly, because yeah. Hill, like, I don't know if you could even count on Hill being that guy two years from now. I mean, you can't even, you might even be able to count on him next year. You probably can't, but I don't know if you can even count on him two years from now being that guy. So this might be like a one year window type of situation. So do you restructure? And just mortgage the future and go for it this mm-hmm. season. That's an option. No, I, I think I think you have to. I think you have to hope that. Um, uh, I think you have to. I think you have to. Um, basically, you know, you you look at the bills and say, look, you know, Von Miller might not be back next year. Uh, you know, they went all in this year. Things are going to be a little weaker for them. Actually. You know, Josh, Josh Allen's cap hit goes up to 40 million. Stephon Diggs, they gave Stephon Diggs. I mean, I love Stephon Diggs, but they didn't have to give him that much money. So they're, they're going to be a little tight around the edges, too. Yeah. And we've gotten, we've gotten used to this idea that Allen's a 10 out of 10, but like he hasn't played that way for a while. Um, so maybe you have a little bit of a decline in his play. Uh, New England's a mess. I hate to say that, you know, and they're always going to be, I think, in like the six to nine win range. Um, but they're not, they're a mess. I think the Jets. The Jets, I'm going under on season win total next year. I can't wait. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, yeah, so I, I t- to me, I think that that's going to uh, be, you know, they're they're going to have a chance next year. So I do think they should go for it, um, and with the explicit understanding that there's going to be a breathing out period after, you know, yeah, after, and you're probably going to have to move on from Tua, and hopefully Tua plays well enough where you could trade him. Like that to me would be the the, the best way out of this. No team has really ever done that before, though, Kevin. Like, right? Like, they're – I mean, Lamar Jackson was, like, the true one where, you know, you could have gotten a haul for him even though, you know – and they did – where it's kind of right on the border there. Dak was another one. Like, no team has really ever bailed out on a, on a draft pick that has worked out um, before the end of that contract. And I feel like maybe two is the one where if he comes in and, you know, lights up the joint on EPA again – uh, you could trade him to a team, you know, maybe desperate, maybe San Francisco uh, once Lance, they let Lance go or something like that. But th- that to me has to be the, the thought process. Okay. Well, actually, you, that reminds me. I think we actually forgot to talk about the Seahawks as far as teams that got eliminated, but maybe we can hit them up at the end. But let's let's hit the rest of the, these two last teams we haven't discussed before I let you, you know, get out of here. So first is you mentioned the Ravens. So we might get this from the Ravens, not because this is some, you know, master genius move on the part of Eric DaCosta and whatnot, but I don't know. I, I'm, I'm almost in coin flip territory now as to whether or not Lamar Jackson will be the 2023 starting quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I don't think it helps his value. The fact that he's missed five games in two consecutive seasons. Now, the fact that whatever played out relationship wise with them, but Again, as we said before, this is a great offseason for trading or getting some value for your quarterback, which kind of goes to like maybe even the Justin Fields thing, which we won't get into. Um, like, like you might have the highest valuation point that you're going to see necessarily going forward. And you do have a handful of teams who say, we sign him to the big deal. We keep his cap hit low for the next two seasons and we're okay. And Eric DaCosta might end up getting a first round pick somewhere and then reinvesting that back in a quarterback who's a little bit more of a workshop sort of deal that they're going to have to move going forward. But what do you think about the Ravens? Because around the quarterback, they would be a team that says, oh, all we need is the quarterback and Rashad Bateman to get healthy and we're ready to go. But their quarterback might be ready to go, go out the door, you know? And so the tag and trade might be necessary. Yeah, I... Over the past little bit, I've I've sour I've soured a little bit. Not you know I I still like root I like still like the Ravens. I still think they do some things. You know, as analysts, you and I, you know, you watch them. And you're like, okay, what's their thought process? I always want to know what the Ravens are doing because I know that there's a thought process behind it. I think that they, you know, them, Cleveland, even Philly to an extent, like all of them have shown that there really isn't a perfect front office yet, right? And so part of me is saying, okay. Or the pressures you know, of the job, the pressures, the pressures of the job, the right? job make it 
more difficult than we theoretically analyzing it on the outside. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I, I come to the, to the throne of, uh, of the, the GM humbly here, the, if I could, I do think that a trade was more likely before I knew that they were going to give Roquan Smith 20 million a year. Um, before they drafted Patrick Queen, before um, they they signed Marcus Williams to a kind of topish you know market deal, I think now they're just going to do what the world expects of them, which is to tag him. Maybe they'll not exclusive tag him and and see if a team will bite and give him a couple ones. What if you want to sign him though? Like I have a feeling that might happen. Right, but you know, I think that they're I think that they're they're in a position now where they've won a lot of a lot of games. They haven't really won in the playoffs. Um, and they're thinking to themselves, like, you know, we've been analytically forward for a decade now. What is, where has that gotten us? You know, I think that that might be part of – and so, you know, again, like the Roquan Smith deal made a lot of sense if you don't extend him, right? You give up a two and a five, you get a three back in comp picks, you get a surplus for a half a season, and boom, done. Um, they did that with Yannick Ngakwe. They did not do that with Roquan Smith. Um, so – I, I, you know, I, I have a hard time predicting what they'll do here. Yeah, here are the three teams that I'm looking at. Again, assuming that Brady is like not quite the, you know, he's not going to have suitors lining up the way that some other people think. The, the Raiders, the Falcons, and the Panthers at seven, eight, and nine in the NFL draft. Can they get one of those picks? Um, and then potentially get a quarterback there, maybe. Um, but I just feel like any of those franchises might like to have a big splash at quarterback and don't necessarily feel great about bringing in a rookie because of where they are in their ownership slash coaching cycle. They don't want to go through a rookie season necessarily with a quarterback and go for one of those. So that's what I, I keep my eye out on, on those on those teams, having some some cap space potentially too, maybe not the Raiders so much, but the Falcons at least after cleaning up for a couple of years. And I mean, Lamar would be a huge splash in in Hotlanta for sure. Okay, really quickly before I let you get out of here, um, Seahawks. I think the underplayed story for the Seahawks, honestly, is a quarterback for them drafting fifth. Like, how often are you going to be taking have the fifth pick in the NFL draft? Geno Smith's been great. Um, and again, the fact that so many teams are desperate for quarterback maybe even means you could get something for Geno Smith in some <laughs> in some sort of way. I don't know about a tag and trade. It's a little bit because you're paying him 30-something million, something like that. But I would not just write in Geno Smith, even though I think Pete Carroll might be doing that. But I think John Schneider might be like, I'm rubbing my hands here looking at this quarterback class and, and getting hot and bothered like he was about Josh Allen reportedly back in the day. Yeah, I, you know it, it, what it reminds me of is Alex Smith with the with the Niners. Um, you know, same division, obviously, similar time frame as Schneider. Where you know it just they, you didn't expect him to do this, right? And he comes up, and you know he ends up being good enough. Now the twenty eleven, sorry, twenty twelve. I'm getting my time frame wrong, but they did draft Colin Kaepernick in round two. I believe it was twenty eleven yes. when they drafted him. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm getting the time period maybe a little off, but well, it was, I do it was, think it was, it was Kaepernick's second year where he came in at the end and then right. had the playoff run and everything. So I think you really do want to have a second option behind Gino the same way. Now, Alex didn't play his way out of the job in San Francisco. He got injured, but everybody saw the upside in Kaepernick yeah. and they, they quickly moved on. But to your point, like do you, how much do you see the quarterback composition in the league changing in a year? Because I think that that was, you know, what the chiefs did was they found it, you know, the quarterback class was barren in 2013. So they were able to trade him to the chiefs for two second round picks. And that ended up being, you know, the, the and, and ironically the Geno Smith draft that ended up being the, the way in which they could have gotten out from under them, you know, with this year where there's possibly four first round picks, maybe the Seahawks think to themselves, you know, Geno might be the, the guy to trade next year after a, another year in the system where he's comfortable. And do they really see a drop off? Now Geno wasn't great in the second half of the year. Um, yes. So maybe maybe there's like maybe maybe there's just a little bit of okay we we sell while there's some value to be had um, but yeah I do think the Seahawks address quarterback in the draft maybe not with a top pick but maybe with a subsequent pick yeah yeah and I think it's also like the, the team's not good right and you can only gonna make the playoffs again if you get first half of the season Geno Smith again and we may never see that again and not not that Geno Smith's not good but again we just might 
not see that again. We might just get second half Geno Smith. And if we get second half Geno Smith, they're not going to make the playoffs. And then where are you at this point? Because yeah. the defense. We is need not to normalize being able to say that a quarterback is a seven and a seven's not good enough with a roster that's a five. Like we have yeah. to be able to say that stuff. Yeah. And again, it's just like all these teams, and this is like part of the Justin Fields argument, you have the number five overall pick in a draft, like you mentioned, which has at least a few quarterbacks who people are going to say are worthy of the number one pick, you know, trading back and collecting 2024 picks doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have that opportunity again. So you got to strike, strike while the iron is hot sometimes when it comes to situations and you don't have to, again, you can bring back Gino and have a rookie quarterback and then figure out what to do with Gino potentially later on for, for a team that, that may want to trade for him. All right, Eric, I'm going to let you get out of here. Anything that you want to plug here other than, all these NFL franchises who are desperately need your help this off season. You want to plug some of that? I'm sure. Anything else? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, yeah, I just contact oh, the podcast. Me. Got Tom. Eric, you and Tom. Eric, you and Tom. Eric, you, Johnny, Tom? you ever just throw Tom out there? No, I do TD or Thomas, uh, but he is not because because you don't. So his dad, Tom Dimitrov, was a coach for the Browns. Uh, okay. And, what about and Tommy then? In the CFL, no, I, I don't have that kind of like. <laughs> I mean, we're friends. Yeah, that, that's we haven't reached that. Tom, we haven't reached that level. TD, yeah, I like yeah. TD. I like TD. Yeah, so the Sumer Sports Show with Eric Eager and Thomas Dimitrov. Uh, you can follow our account at Sumer Sports on Twitter. Uh, we're we're starting to rev that up a little bit. I think by the end of February, we'll start having uh, written content there as well. Uh, and you know, just you know, we're we're continuing to grow on both the B two B and the B two C side. So just hit me up if you are at all interested in Sumer Sports. Yeah, 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 go follow Eric. I'm sure you're already following him on Twitter at Eric Eager underscore Eric Eager. One of the smartest, most insightful and generally good dudes out there. So thanks for joining me here and uh, giving me giving me all your wisdom for an hour. Kevin, it was fun chopping up, man. Have a good one. All right. Take it easy.